0: Hello. Thank you for listening to the sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allows you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Well, good morning. Good to see each of you here. Glad that you've joined us, given Pastor Ed a few moments here. Pastor Ed's going to come and share with us. Um, We were talking beforehand, and if people see Pastor Ed get up and preach, and then they see me over there sitting, they might think, what's going on? Um, Nothing's going on. Um, in fact, I just asked Pastor Ed if he would preach um, and, and give me a Sunday off. Zach and I went away uh, this week for a few days. We went on a camping trip and uh, we went fishing. I'd like to say that we, bought, we caught a fish about this. We didn't. We didn't even catch a fish. It was horrible, but we had fun um, and had a great time together. And it just gave us a little bit of break. And I appreciate Pastor Ed being willing to come and. And to preach and to share the word with us uh, this morning. It's, it's exciting to know that we have um, such, a, such a man who loves the Lord. Who has served not only um, several, many years uh, in the ministry full time. But now has been here at West Hill for a number of years as our care pastor. And uh, I look up to him. I appreciate him. His counsel is so very important to me. And so, Pastor Ed, thanks for coming and sharing the word with us this morning. And, uh, and I want to pray. Would you pray with me uh, and ask God to open our eyes? Lord, open the eyes of our heart. Um, use Pastor Ed and the word that you've given to him um, to stir within us a deeper love and a deeper desire to please you, Lord. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your commitment that you've demonstrated your love towards us, that even though we were yet sinners, that Christ died for us. Uh, help us to be mindful to be open to be receptive of the message that you have for us today and we pray this in the name of jesus amen when pastor ed's done preaching then uh, vince will come and play and then i will dismiss as we kind of been our custom so if you're new here uh, we're glad that you're here but i'll dismiss row by row at the end just to kind of allow us to go out and then if you would like to have conversation let me encourage you that you do that out in the parking lot and so that way it gives the freedom uh, for each one pastor ed thanks
1: Aaron, it's uh great to be able to step back into the pulpit again you know he was given all the reasons why he asked me to do it he was just looking for a good preacher so <laughs> uh that remains to be seen uh, for sure but um we're going, we've been going through a lot as a nation uh, recently, and I, I want to take a look at that. So um, what's in the news? Well, let me give you two big deals that are in the news. The first is there's two major stories that are dominating all the news. The first is, of course, the virus and how this virus came uh, almost like uh, unexpected. Here it was on us and... And suddenly we uh, uh, were having to social distance and stay inside, quarantine ourselves, and our economy shut down all the businesses and the economy crashed. I'm not going to talk about that this morning because we've been dealing with it a long time and hopefully, and we pray that it'll be over soon. The second one is the apparent murder of George Floyd, a black man who was Killed by a police officer, and that led to a nationwide protest. But among the protesters, among the peaceful protesters, there were anarchists, there were Marxist revolutionaries who, through rioting, looting, burning, stealing, and violence, They really want to overthrow everything that we know that our country is. Not the peaceful protesters, but these violent ones in amongst them. And you can just see on the news any time you look, statues being pulled down and and all kinds of things going on. But except for that, there's not much going on. Uh, Today I want to focus on this whole issue about race and I tongue-in-cheek said to someone this morning when they asked me what what am I preaching about and I said well I'm going to deal with one of the biggest problems uh, that has been thrust upon us the whole problem of racism and I'm going to solve it in about 30 to 35 minutes Uh, tongue-in-cheek when i get to preach so few times which he's a pastor and he should be preaching all the time except for a break or two and vacations uh i have to con- i have to pile everything that's been bombarding into my mind back down into one sermon so you're going to get the whole load today no not really uh an old farmer came to church uh, one day and and uh uh there was only one because it had been snowing outside and it was just him, a farmer and the preacher. Well, the preacher got up and he preached this long, long sermon like he always does. And when he came by the, to shake the, the hand of the, uh, uh, the farmer, he said, well, uh, how was the message this morning? And he said, well, the message is all right, but when you got up, I didn't think you're going to preach the whole, dump the whole load so that 's kind of you know i don't want to dump the whole load on you, and I better get started uh, so I won 't run out of time but um, this whole issue uh, about race the Bible teaches us that we 're all descendants of two people that God created, first Adam and then Eve and then the question comes is, well, where did all of the race the races that or the people groups and the colors and everything else that we see are certain regional characteristics. Where did that all come from? Well, in Genesis 1, and I will we'll try to have that on the screen for you, but you can read along in your own Bibles or you're on your phones, wherever. Genesis 1, 26, 27 says this. Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image. Now, who's the hour there? I believe it's the Trinity amongst the Trinity, the heads of the Trinity Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I believe that's where it is here. Let us make human beings in our image to be like ourselves. So it says God created human beings in his own image, in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. Now one thing we notice here is that out of this two people that God created, there wasn't really any distinctions except one. And the distinction was not a part of one was human the other wasn't. What the distinction was, was gender. He created the male and female, and then listen to what it says. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry on the ground. So God gave them a responsibility It was to care for the garden, but also he wanted them to multiply. And, of course, that's why he made a man, and that's why he made a woman. Uh, Companionship and all of that, but God had a plan to have a lot of people. And it's still a part of his plan, because he wants a lot of people in the end in heaven with him. Now, John Stone Street, president of Chuck Colson's Center, wrote an article recently that says asked this question can we end racism well he wrote this God's story of the universe can be told in four chapters four chapters now you can follow me through the bible with this first was creation right at the very beginning right and Adam and Eve right at the very beginning the second chapter is the fall and that also happened right very close to the beginning the fall of of Adam and Eve in their sin, and then the third and fourth chapters are redemption, which was promised in Genesis three fifteen, and then goes all the way to the to the end of the Bible, where people are being redeemed and being saved and prepared for to being entering into the place that God has prepared for all those who uh, who worship Him and who receive Him. And the fourth chapter is restoration. That also begins through the rest of the Bible of sin and then restoration all the way up to Christ's coming and salvation in in a more, uh, in a a different way of, of trusting in Christ and looking back on Christ and his finished work on the cross. In the Old Testament, they look forward Not always knowing, but they kept the laws as best they could and sought after the Lord and they were saved because of their faith, because of their faith. And then the final restoration is we're in the process of being restored, but God's going to restore us completely, give us a new body, and it will be the way that God intended it to be from the very beginning. We will be with him. So those four chapters. Now, the fighting the evils of uh, racism requires that we understand creation, and what was included in that. The only idea that has ever been successful, John Stonecraft says, is that addressing this ethnic partiality is the Imago Day. All right, theological word, the phrase of the theological phrase of the day, Amago Day. What is it? You can pick it up from the first word, imago, and in that you see image. So the image of God, in our image, he created, or God says, let us create man in our image. So in his image, he created them, male and female. Now it says to to address this problem of ethnic partiality, which means some people, groups feeling superior to others, or some even feeling inferior to other people or to geographical areas or to nations. One nation feeling superior over another and uh, feeling it, uh, that uh, they have a right to feel like that they are superior because of some external situations or circumstances in the other people's lives. Imago Dei means image of God, and that every human being created by God, and we all are, is that we are created in God's image. Now, what does that mean? Well, Warren Wiersbe, in one of his commentaries, gave us this meaning to Imago Dei. He says, we were created in God's image with personality, intellect, will, and emotions. But that's not all because animals have some of those things as well, if not all of those. But unlike angels, because it never said angels were created in the image of God, unlike angels and animals, though they're not on the same level for sure, uh, Humans can have a very special relationship with God, and that is the difference. God has created us not only with these other things emotions, with a will, with personality, uh, with a mind to think with, those things, yes, but He won this one special thing, I think begins to put us on to what uh, the answer to what is the imago day. Humans can have a relationship with God. So every single person can have a relationship with God, and God seeks every person to have a relationship with him. Now he asks us to turn away from our sins, he asks us to repent and believe in Jesus Christ, but we can have a relationship with him and that's one of the great promises of the Bible, but not only will we have a great relationship with him, that relationship will go on forever, and one day we shall even be like him. So the, he gave us an inner spiritual nature that enables us to know him and to worship him. Now, what's in the news? Well, we are all being accused of being racist as white people. Uh, Among the peaceful protesters were the anarchists, as it says, and all of that. But the issue here, we need to look at where does racism come from and what do we do about it? So where does it come from? Well, in Genesis 1, verse 26 and 27, a little back up, well, a little further down from the creation, he says, uh, let us make man in our image and, and... I jumped to the wrong page. Sorry about that. The image of God has been marred by sin that has come into the world and into our lives personally. And But through the Holy Spirit, God can renew his nature in us. He can renew that image in us. So one day when we see Jesus... All the children of God will share in his glories. And in his, the glorious image will be made full at that time. But it's already begun. It's already begun in us. In every single human being, has that spark of the ability to relate to God. The Apostle Paul, as he talked to the uh, Ath- Athenians and uh, those philosophers, he talked about God, this unknown God, he says. Let me tell you about him. And so in Acts chapter 17, verse 24 and 26, it says, God made the world and everything in it. Now, this is Paul telling the Athenians who didn't know God. They, they, they worshiped all kinds of idols and so that they could feel like they covered all, their bases on all of them. They had one statue one idol to the unknown God, and that's the one that Paul chose to help him be able to relate to them who the one true God was. And it says in verse 26, and he has made from one blood. I want you to hold on to that. One blood. Every nation of men to, to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. So God has set in place the people where he wanted them and what his plan for them was at his pre-appointed times and places, set the boundaries. And you back up in Genesis uh, 11, we'll go to in a minute, but back to Genesis 10, it gives a list of all these descendants of Noah that began to repopulate the earth. And before it talks about the, the breaking up of the nations, it told where they were gonna wind up. So just like this, he sets the boundaries, he sets the appointed time and they will wind up fulfilling it. So he created mankind from one blood so that all nations and all peoples would be made out of the same stuff And all have the same blood. Now if we look at what blood types we are, we all have uh, the same blood in the sense it only has certain properties that are a little different. So there's A and B and AB and O and most of us don't even know which blood type we are. But we all bleed red, we're all the same. We're not some other creature from some other place if we have a different blood type. It's the same blood. But in order to receive blood or donate blood to mix with your own blood, you need to have it typed. And that's where that comes in. So that, now the Greeks felt like that they were a superior people. They were a special race, they thought and differ from all other races, but Paul kind of set them straight. He says, we're all one blood, we're all equal. Well, the Smithsonian Institute affirms this this truth of one blood, even the Smithsonian, even modern science says the same thing. The species that you and all other human beings on this planet belong to homo sapiens we're the same people same blood we are the human race now what is the origin of this race or the word race because in the bible except for running a race uh, like in a some kind of a race of a running contest race isn't really mentioned except in about two places and some translations doesn't even have it listed there or translated there so this word race is something else it comes from a different place it's but we all use it and and uh, we need to be clear that that's not something that is different except on the surface and I'm going to make, come to a point on that in just a minute. The Encyclopedia Britannica reported that genetic studies of the late 20th century, which was just 20, 30 years ago at the end of the last century, that they have refuted the existence of biogenetic distinct races. So they're saying nothing in the biology really makes one person different from another. We're all created in the image of God every single one of us. Now, how uh, is this difference explained? Where did these colors and groups come from? Well, let's go to Genesis 11. I think I have an answer for that. In Genesis, further back than Genesis 11, let me just say this. There, there, There are some who believe that different races, or at least one, descended from a son of Noah, by the name of Ham, who uh, through punishment for something he did wrong, that it wound up being punishment carried out on his son, Canaan. And some have thought that the punishment was, since it meant being a servant to the others, that it meant the beginning of a servant race, which turned out to be black people. I reject that. I don't blink. I don't think that's the right uh, interpretation of that. One is too narrow because it only deals with one group of people, rather than all the differences in people that we experience today. Not just one, but a lot of different people. So in Genesis 11, I believe is where the answer really lies. So we'll have that on the screen for you, hopefully. Genesis 11, verse 1, 4 through 7, and in 9, it says at one time all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words so they could understand each other and they kind of lived together and uh, or they did as they began to move from uh, Ararat where Noah landed his boat and or it was placed and from there on they moved uh, toward Babylon into the Middle East and it says they then Then they said, Come, let us build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky, and this will make us us famous and keep us from being scattered over the whole world. Now, you have to read into that a little bit what I think is behind it. They were all of one language. They all understood each other, and they could accomplish almost anything they set their mind to do, and God acknowledges that. That's how he created us with tremendous ability and ingenuity and intellect and able to do things. And so they set about building this tower so that they would have a monument or even a place of worship, but not a worship of God, but a worship perhaps of themselves, leaving God out of the picture. And this, uh, this tower that they built... Some have said, and I think there's a good bit of support for it, that it was like a pyramid with a top truncated, cut off or never built that high, with a flat place on top, a pyramid with steps on one side at least, so they could build a shrine. And the shrine would be to worship God or to worship idols or whoever their great God would be. So it's probably a ziggurat. And you may have heard that term before for this structure. It says, but the Lord, verse 5, but the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower and that the the people were building. Then God says, look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. God says it won't be impossible for them to do about anything they want to do. So God says, let, come, let us go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. Anybody here gone to camp or youth group and played uh, barnyard, barnyard animals? Maybe so, when I explain it, maybe you call it something different. And that is you have a group Anywhere from 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100, whatever you have. And you write down the names of several groups of animals and you put an animal name on each slip of paper. You take that and give it out until you've given out all the slips of paper with all the different animal names on it. And you have at least four or five or three uh, size of your group of the same name of the animal. And then the the, uh, signal to begin... Everybody is supposed to, you, you can't say who you are. You can only do the sound of the animal whose name you have. You just do the sound. And so if there's a horse or a pig or a donkey or whatever, uh, a duck, you have to make that sound, and the object of the game is go find your group. And they're out there. And so you start listening and making your sound and walking until you find, if you're a duck, you've got to find all the ducks. And then when you found them, separate your little group, and it's a lot of fun, and it's an icebreaker, and it does those kind of things. Well, for these people, it, it wasn't an icebreaker, let me tell you. All of a sudden, God changed their speech in such a way that they, can. I believe this, they continued to speak exactly as they always spoke, using exactly the same words they always spoke. But when they came out, they were different, but it sounded right to them. But that happened to so many of different people that it wound up with several different groups. And they couldn't, one group couldn't understand the other group. So maybe there was uh, three or four, or five, 10, 20,000 people here that could understand each other. The others, another group could understand each other. And what they wound up doing was being scattered. Now that was the original uh, command that God had given not only to Adam and Eve, but he reiterated it to Noah when he says, go into the world and and bear children and populate the whole earth scatter in other words and they didn't scatter they came together to try to build a monument to to themselves so they began to migrate to different regions to cause they couldn't understand each other and nobody was teaching the languages at that time uh and when they did there was Here's a big word, uh, a, a concept that I think is kind of the key to this, and it was genetic isolation. They moved to an area, and then that group of people were, didn't have contact with this group or didn't have contact with that group, and they spread far and wide, and it was wide. And as they began over the years and centuries, uh, certain genetic uh, dominant genes began to surface with this group but it would be different from this group over here and when these I think God must have put the, the, all the types of genes perhaps or at least their ability to become others into the original two into Adam and Eve but here they were and uh, some developed over a period of time black skin some over a period of time developed uh, what Asians look like, some uh, what the Arabs look like, and just all the different groups in their forehead and their eyes and, and just different things, the characteristics of these different people groups. When you see them in an airport or, or somewhere else, uh, you can say, I think those people are from Asia, I'm sure, but I don't know exactly where because, you know, can't tell if it's Japan or if it's... Uh, uh, one of the other uh, eastern cities uh, or countries over there. So I think that that is a good probability of how all of that happened. Now, what I want to say, there's still one blood. There's no other differences except just the way they look. There's still one people. None is superior to the other, except in the sense that one group might accomplish more things. So each group had their own language, their own geographical area, and their own physical characteristics, including their color. Now Warren Wiersbe tells us that um, <clears throat> that this was kind of like, in one sense, a reversal. Uh, it was Pentecost was a reversal of uh, of Tower of Babel, so that God, in one moment, could cause people to hear their own personal language but it wasn't the, the language of the area and suddenly here are here are galilean men speaking perfect in whatever di- whatever language that these people who were visiting jerusalem from other countries what their language was god reversed it all saying i'm going to through christ bring in the church i'm going to bring people back together even though they have different languages Because anything that is extraneous is not a part of what should be able to keep people apart or cause one group to feel superior over another group. So that's fighting racism. And let me quickly go on to the second part of that. And he says the fall was the second part. And that is that we, uh, we have to deal with the fall if we're going to ever deal with racism. We are all sinners, and when it comes to this, uh, this policeman or any policeman, they are not perfect. They're going to do some wrong things. Some by intent, some by just because that's the way they wind up doing it when they shouldn't do it that way. But we're all created equal. But because of our sin we allow that to cause us to feel superior, cause us to feel in, uh, inferior to other people. And that puts us on the wrong track because I'm going to tell you how, what God's heart really is. You know, God wants us to value every single person, every single person with the image of God within them has, we should value them and give them respect and, uh, and love them, just like God will love them. <clears throat> Often we have uh, people with personal motives about things, of why they feel they do about other people. We have institutions that can take on a certain flavor. It's said about the United States that there is there's institutional racism that it's systemic and it is now and it has been from the very beginning. I don't believe that. There was someone recently, a politician, who wound up saying that uh, America is the birthplace of racism or slavery is what he said. The birthplace of slavery. That is absolutely not true. And either he was not telling the truth or he just was ignorant about where slavery, how, 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 how wide this thing through the centuries has been of slavery. It's been over the whole world. People taking slaves into their homes or businesses. It wasn't just the United States. That came much, much later. That doesn't make us without, uh, without it. we are left without excuse. It doesn't give us a reason or, 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 uh, or something that we can say that, well, it's not our fault. Well, yes, it is, even though it might have come late. So if we unpack this just a little bit more in a few more minutes that I have, in order to maintain a just and fair and orderly society among people who are fallen, who have sin in their lives, who do wrong things, who have a tendency to be selfish And I know by experience, I am, that there needs to be laws. And if there aren't laws, all kinds of chaos happens. And so God gave us the Ten Commandments. He gave Israel and the whole world the Ten Commandments. And if we look at the, the, the first four are about God, our vertical relationship with him, the last six are about our relationship with other people. So what does it say? Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not lie against your neighbor, bear false witness. And you, should, you, you, shall, you, sh- you, you must not uh, covet the stuff that belongs to other people. You must not do that. And Jesus, when we get to the New Testament, he said, I didn't come to uh, destroy the law, I came to fulfill the law. And someone asked him once, a Pharisee says, Master, Lord, what is the greatest commandment? Because they were always arguing about that. Out of all of the 613 commandments that the Jews had at the time, which one was the greatest? And he said this, and that's uh, Matthew twenty-two, thirty-six. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, "You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind." That's the greatest. That's the first. And he said, "The second. The second. What did he say? What's the second? Love your neighbor as yourself." Love God, love your neighbors. Same thing in the Ten Commandments. Love God, and this is how you relate to him. And love your neighbors, and this is how you relate to them. And Jesus summed it up, made it real simple for us. And now this time he goes deeper. Instead of keeping a law and being uh, legalistic about it to keep the Ten Commandments, he's saying, go to your heart because out of the heart flows the issues of life, flows our actions. Before someone murders someone else, it's in their heart first. Before someone commits adultery, it's in their heart first. It's always the heart. You go back and you look at the heart. And if you hate someone, it's in your heart first before you take any action to do anything or say anything that's demeaning or whatever you do. Now, I can really preach to myself on this. I grew up in a culture that most of you did not. Few of you did. I grew up in the Deep South, and I saw the exhibitions or exhibited. I saw exhibited this separate segregation, supposedly separate but equal. It was never that way. I was ignorant growing up. I didn't know any different because that's just kind of the way society was. But through the years in studying the scripture and being away from that area, which has made tremendous strides, and I would say in many ways, uh, more than some of the northern states and cities. But I saw it. I saw three restrooms, men, men, women and colored i saw that two different drinking fountains white and colored i saw that i knew i knew the reasons that were given for it but deep down inside even as a young boy of 8 9 10 i knew that that wasn't right it's just not right for these people are made in the image of God and deserve respect and care and love in the same way anyone else does. And that goes for all groups. In Romans 13, that deals with this idea uh, or, or what, why we have government and, and uh, what is... What is the the function of, of those who police and those who deal with wrongdoing? It says, Romans 13, 1 through 4, it says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, See, God created the three great institutions, and that is family, church, and government. And government is put there for the safety and protection and the order of society so that we can have an orderly society and take the freedoms we have and use the opportunities that we have and use them uh, for our families and to serve God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities, resists what God has appointed And those who resist will incur judgment. If not by the state, if not by the authorities, it'll be by God himself. Because it's his laws that are being broken. Rioting, stealing, killing, burning, all of those things will be judged by God. But they should be judged by the state because that is their responsibility. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but the bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? All right, do this. Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant. He, he who? The government, the policeman, the judge. He is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on wrongdoing. Does that sound that he's handling lawbreakers with kid gloves? Doesn't sound it to me. Now, he loves them. And because he loves not only them, he loves other people who are on the receiving end of all the damage and the stealing and the hurt and the pain that goes along with it. And he put the officers there to protect them. So how do we deal with this thing of racism? I think we have to look at our own hearts, and I think we have to say, why do I feel about that group of people the way I feel about it? Is that the way God feels about it? And if we are harboring superior feelings or some other kind of emotions that we shouldn't be entertaining, then it's really not of God. So everyone deserves God's expressions of God's love as it comes through us. That does not excuse wrongdoing because that's why I read Romans 13. Does not excuse wrongdoing. It holds people accountable for what they do. But they deserve justice, and justice comes in two forms. One is holding them accountable and paying the penalty, or setting them free because they've been set up or they're really not guilty. That's justice. All right, it's time for me to stop, so let me sum up what I've tried to say this morning and hopefully something you can take away. So I made some bullet points. They're not on the screen, but listen to this. Number one, all people are created in God's image to be valued. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ, or we all brothers and sisters as human beings. And in the faith, if we're in Christ together, there is only one race, and that is the human race. Now, we'll continue to use that word because everybody uses it, but it's not really biblical. We could say there are people, uh, other countries, uh, the nationalities, or things like that to distinguish groups of people, but it's not really race because we're only one race, and that's a human race. And the Apostle John writes in Romans, uh, in Revelation, uh, right at the end he says and this well actually it's in chapter 7 he says after this I looked and behold a great multitude that, has, that no one could number from every nation from all tribes all peoples and all languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white giving praise to God no group is left out because they're of the human race. Christ died for them. And that's why they're there. Number three, God has established his commandments so that there can be an orderly society. To violate them is to incur his judgment. And he wants justice to be done as well as love, as well as repentance and forgiveness and restoration. Those things are all in there too. And those were the last of the four chapters Uh, of of, of restoration was the last one. And number four, Jesus came to save humanity and transform the heart and enable all who follow him to love and care about other people, all people. He's enabled us to do it as believers. And the last one, and not the least by any means, it needs to be all the way through, we pray. We pray for our country. We pray for our nation. We pray about this stuff that's going on. We want to keep our nation, but we need to let go of things that are hurtful, legitimately to people. There are those who want to overthrow our nation and everything. It really doesn't matter to them, some of these things. They just use it as an excuse to try to overthrow. And never did I think I'd be saying somebody's trying, a whole group of people trying to overthrow our country. Never in my lifetime did I think that could ever be an issue. But it is. We need to pray about it. And God can work through these situations and pray that He will and give wisdom to our leaders, give wisdom to the Congress, to the President, give wisdom all the way down through that they'll know how to deal with this and give a will to those who don't want to do anything about it. We're called to be salt and light in this fallen world of darkness. And if we are salt and light, We will make a difference. That's what God has called us to be. So let's put aside every appearance of racism. That's stated a different way in the scripture. Put aside every appearance of evil. We'll just say racism, because that's evil too. So let's put that aside. So be strong, be courageous. Be, stand firm. Don't give up in what we need to do as the people of God and as the church. The church needs to be strong during these days. The church needs to establish the course. We should not run and hide. We should engage the culture in a loving way. Speak the truth in love. Do these things and leave the rest with God. Let's pray. Our dear Father, we give you thanks. We praise you. Praise you for this day. Thank you for our country. We pray, Lord, for its, for its renewal and restoration. We pray that we might in some way do our part by, being, by shining, letting your light shine through us and our lives acting as a preservative upon the good that's in our culture. Guide us today. Give us a good week, we pray, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.